Welcome to episode 37 of the Men Who Save Football, the Dundalk FC fancast. This is a celebratory episode of the second trophy of the season. A really stoic and heroic performance in Tallis Stadium tonight, where once again, up in Tallis on a Friday night, we managed to beat Rovers and take home more silverware. Guys, what did you make of the performance? Yeah, um, I think it was, it was a really interesting game. It was so much to talk about. I, I don't think it was like a, you know, a, a kind of a... Um, monolithic uh, match to say that it, well, obviously we won and I think we were probably worth the win in a heroic sense in the end um, but so much to talk about I, I think um, Rovers started uh, really well were really composed I mean they are they're a solid outfit I'll say that off, off the bat they're going to be a real real problem for the whole league this season I think um, but I think we grew into the game I, th I think we were we were not at the races to begin with I think they were really really composed uh, really organised. I think their midfield is uh, a really scary prospect. Um, but we grew into the game. And then I think as we grew in, our kind of attacking flair started to come into it. We started troubling them a bit more. Um, and then we got the goal, obviously. And I think we went into the... I think we went into halftime worth the lead. Despite their strong start, I think we went into the... Because, you know, fortune favours the brave, I think. We got the goal, and I think we were worth it. I think we um, some hairy moments in defence, but I think we dealt with them. And you know, some new additions to, to the defence um, really uh, showed their worth. Uh, and then they got a really, really good goal pretty soon, and I think they were worth that goal as well. I mean, that that was an excellent goal. And then second half was a case of crazy conditions, um, sending off, which I don't think should have been a sending off, totally killed the game. Because I think it was all rovers since that point on, but we weathered it. We weathered the storm both figuratively and literally. Because I think uh, down to ten men against the champions, you're always up against it. But we we survived that. And then once you get to penalties, yeah, listen, penalties are kind of you know a bit of a coin toss. But the fact that we got to penalties with ten men against such an organised unit means I think we deserve the win. See, this is where I'm going to disagree with Rory a bit because I think. The, the last half an hour was probably where we learned more about Rovers than I think we did about Dundalk. Like, Dundalk just dug in and stuck, you know, 10 men behind the ball for the, a large period. But I think that is what Rovers are going to face at home for a lot of the, the rest of the season. Like, when the likes of Longford come to town, that's what they're going to do. Now, last season, they were able to sort of unpick the lock through the likes of Byrne and Mekinef. Uh, able to, you know, sort of really deliver sort of quality assists. And, you know, Jack Byrne was their, their top scorer as well. So not a team that was absolutely full of goals. And honestly, you know, if they were unable to break us down in the last half an hour tonight, I'm not sure they're going to do as good a job this season as they did last year in, uh, like I say, uh, picking apart the, the smaller teams in the league or the lesser lights. I think in the first half, you know, we got a better sense of um, what Dundalk are about. Like I thought Daniel Cleary was excellent. Uh, he did a lot of really good sort of carrying in the ball into midfield. I sort of questioned a bit our determination to, you know, take these short goal kicks that again, every time I see it, I think to myself, what are we doing? But, you know, there was a, a real determination to continue with that, like no matter if Rovers, you know, put the high press on us. And Cleary in particular was able to, you know, sort of beat Mandriou, uh, I think, you know, nine times out of ten, was able to carry the ball up towards midfield. And I thought that was, you know, a, a really good sign. Uh, I thought, like, Sam Stanton... Started like a little bit weakly with the, the pace of the game, but you know, he's still learning the league. But I thought as the first half wore on, like he showed more and more of his quality, like able to turn on the ball, 
uh, able to keep possession really well, able to thread a few, you know, through passes. Uh, I think up to the likes of uh, Djokovic and stuff like that. Like it was a, a couple of really good runs he made off the ball. We probably didn't make as much of the, the chances as he possibly could have. Uh, but I thought we took the lead in the game probably with the run of play. Like we'd had a good sort of 10 minute spell. Uh, that doesn't mean I necessarily thought the goal was coming, but you know, when it came, I don't think it was, you know, against the run of play or anything like that. But the second half, you know, after the, the sending off, which was a period of like total madness for the referee where I thought he lost control of proceedings altogether. Uh, you know, that really sort of changed the game. And I think the conditions afterwards as well were absolutely awful. Like we, we ground out that last half an hour without, I think, really showing very much at all. Like we didn't attempt to keep possession. Uh, we just let Rovers have the ball and dug in. And, you know, I, I don't really think we learned very much about that, but delighted for a BB uh, for his start to his instant career. Yeah, I have to agree with, with both of you. Um, yeah, Martin, that's a very interesting point that you're right. Teams will come to Salah and they will, they will they'll park the bus and it will be up to Rovers to break them down. Um, and they'll, they'll face stronger opposition, um, you know, with the likes of Pats and Bowes when they arrive. And if they nick a goal, they might decide to put 11 behind the ball and, you know, 11 and, and, and dig in deep and, you know, it'll be up to Rovers to, to pick the lock. I think as well, like, like I would agree with Rory, Rovers were, were exceptional. In the, you know, and in the opening stages, I thought that they pressed us very hard, pressed us very, very quick, and made us look a little bit unsure on the ball. But I suppose you, the other way to look at it is they have to raise their game. Like, they, like it's not every day them dog come to town, so it's not every 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 day that, that they have to face them dogs. So they have to be on top of their game. They have to be have to work twice as hard to make sure that we don't put a rhythm in place and we don't we don't get we we don't like get into our you know our, our high tempo game, which we showed in through the set in through the um, periods of the first half that we were able to raise that. And you're right, I don't think the goal was, you know, against the run of play. It was well taken. And uh, he showed strength and he took it, you know, he took it so, so well. Um, and I thought, I, I really, really, as a, as a spectacle, the first half was really, really good. I enjoyed it. Um, I thought we deserved our lead uh, in the first half. Because if you handle that kind of pressing from Rovers and their ability, they're very slick in midfield as well. If you can handle that and you go in 1-0 up, then you deserve you deserve to be 1-0 up. It's as simple as that. As for the second half, mm, yeah. Uh, the referee killed that one, uh, without a doubt. I think the red card, he, he was played for the red card. And I think that, um, you know, the, the, the tackle before that as well built up to that. But like, leaving that aside, um, after that, the game just, you know, plummeted. We dug in deep, we played very, very well. I thought Pat Hooven showed exceptional pace when he came on. Um, as well, I thought he was very sharp. Even though you know he played the most, he played most of the match very, very defensively. I thought he was very, very sharp, very, very quick on his feet. And then Abibi, yeah, I thought that he done very, very well uh, with, with the penalty shootout. And I suppose there's more to be said on that. But um, you know, I just thought that it was a great spectacle. It was a great game. And you know what? Let's celebrate the win, Presidents Cup in the bag. There was a, a frenetic start to the game where Rovers did seem to get the upper hand and once again we saw what's become their trademark slick passing style in midfield however we did kind of absorb that we perhaps found it a little bit difficult to play out from the back to midfield when they were pressing us but definitely as the game went on and things settled down I did think Patrick McElhenney became a more and more noticeable presence I thought Chris was really enjoying the new shape to the side as well and as well as that, Daniel Cleary continues to look like he's come back really sharp, um, very comfortable in possession. We saw that he wasn't afraid to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the guys that were pressing him and take take the ball around him. There was um, a lot of positives there. And I think by the time we were coming to the end of the half, we had consistently 
you know, we were controlling the game. We were keeping possession. We'd had several attacks where Yakovkis often ended up in, in positions well advanced and ready to, uh, you know, ready to uh, center the ball, perhaps lacking the killer quality to get those half chances and turn them into goals. But um, I think we were well on top when the goal did arrive. And of course, um, we perhaps are now beginning to see the benefit of having a six foot seven center half in the side. He seemed to be, you know, totally at ease when he took that chance. And I think it was no more than we deserved. Um, however, Rovers did seem to respond um, quite intensively in the first 10 minutes of the second half. And once again, dominated possession very much with the upper hand. But like you say, that the, the sending off really transformed the game and it became an entirely different test at that point. And given the pressure that Rovers had put on us in the previous 15 minutes, you might have expected Dundalk to crumple because Sonny was kind of one of the players who was central to the game. Looked comfortable in possession, once dominant in the air, scored the goal, and then suddenly that piece is taken off the chessboard. And it's it could have been very deflating, um, particularly given the circumstances of that sending off. I know um, Sam Stanton had a kind of a, a wild lunge to bring Burke down as the play was developing, but Sonny's tackle seemed innocuous by comparison. Burke himself didn't appeal. But McCann took it on himself to run the length of the field and start a shamozzle. And it seemed that that persuaded the referee that this was serious enough to send him off. Now, I don't know. I mean, I, I find it a bit rich when a guy gets a direct red card for a foul in a glorified friendly, but a fellow that runs the length of the pitch to have a go at him gets a yellow. So I think the ref hasn't done well there. And then he seemed to go into Christmas mode of it was cards for everybody. Everybody got one. Even Stephen Bradley got one. And I don't know what he was, what he had done 40 yards away to really merit that. So I think it was a bit of a moment of madness for the ref. Transformed the game. All the quality that was pre evident from both sides in the first 45 minutes, well, it just became us, you know, trying to shut them out which it didn't look like we might be able to do. You know, we have been in that situation with Rovers in the past and when they turn on the pressure on us, you know, they can be they can be irresistible, but we pretty much handled everything they threw at us, which is a great testament to what we've got in this new lineup. And of course, particularly, you know, involved in the shutout, there was a few crucial saves from uh, Abibi. Now the goal that Scales got, that was just, I think that was a moment of class uh, I didn't think Liam Scales had that in him. I kind of rate him as a player, but suddenly this Dennis Bergkamp, like, I, I thought it was centre forward. I initially thought it was Gaffney. Uh, I didn't know Scales kind of had that degree of control and skill, but in fairness to him, he great moment of skill um, to get into a shooting position, and then he finished emphatically. I don't think there was much a BB could have done about that, but what was kind of noticeable in the podcast's the, the now multitude of podcasts that talk about Dundalk FC. Um, I think um, it was a feature that a lot of people seem to have a bad reaction to Abibi's performance in Drogheda. I think we noted that, you know, the, the Ronan Murray free kick had a lot of quality to it and it wasn't necessarily an alarm bell that should be wrong. Yeah, he flapped at one or two corners, but I mean, he is, you know, just finding his feet in the league. I don't think that was a reason to panic, but there seemed to be more or less a kind of a, an obituary for Abibi's Dundalk career in some of the tones of the criticism that came out after the Drada performance. I imagine all of those kind of observations and those criticisms, uh, they're probably, you know, rewriting their opinions after tonight's performance because he did pretty much all that was asked of him. He pulled off some decent saves. 
He came and claimed most crosses. He came off his line very, very swiftly on a couple of occasions to cut out developing attacks when it looks like, you know, Graham Burke could have been in for a couple of one-on-ones and then ends up the hero of the penalty shootout. Um, So, I mean, I think that's one of the good stories of the night. We have two of our new guys uh, distinguishing themselves, albeit, you know, Sonny's performance somewhat uh, diminished by the, the sending off. Hopefully when that goes to the appeals disciplinary board if it does this won't have any impact on the league because it would be it would be a travesty to 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 lose him for league games on account of you know this game mm-hmm. um but what what did you think generally of the shape of the defense and the performance of those new players in it well one thing i will say about bb is not to dig up very old wounds was that when we when we uh, on a podcast a few episodes ago were assessing the new signings uh, were probably accused of being a bit overly negative before we had seen them. But I do remember us saying, let's wait and see. And that was the general vibe on this podcast was let's wait and see. And I think some certain words were put into our mouths uh, about what was said on that podcast. But we have waited and seen. I think tonight we saw. Um, that was generally our attitude, which is we don't know much about him, but let's see what he can bring. And yeah, listen, the Jim Malone Cup is never really... Uh, a platform to judge a player but i think i know it's only the president's cup and i know it's still a friendly but against rovers you really do want to make a mark and i think um i was really impressed by bb as you said um made some made some really important saves but also you know his uh, general presence in the box and his control i think was really impressive sunny got you know a, a really good goal that uh, you know obviously uh opened up the the game. So I think uh, both of them were really impressive. But I think the BB, yeah, I to me, listen, the draw the game, like, listen, games like that, I don't think you can judge too much. Games like tonight, you can't judge a huge amount. But I think it's it's definitely the players were up for tonight. And I think he really made a name for himself. And listen, saving penalties is, you know, no easy job. And so once you know you've got someone who can do that for you. Um, but he, I think he did lots tonight, which were, were really impressive. And I think also it seemed to mean a lot to him because um, he got his hands on the cup. He was posing for the cameras. I imagine those will be uh, those will be making their way back home. And, uh, you know, he's, he's only in the he's only in the country, you know, a matter of weeks. And already he's got his first trophy and he's played an integral role in it. So I think it's a really good night for him. And like I say, you know, a lot of these players, we will have to see a lot more of them before anybody can make a definitive opinion on them. But I think the signs were positive. And, uh, you know, it, it is a confidence position. And I think he'll take a lot of confidence from his performance tonight. Uh, throughout the team, um, we've been talking a lot about the, the role of a box-to-box midfielder. But if we looked at how we lined out tonight, the shape of the team with this sort of three center halves or you know three central defenders uh and then the two wing backs ahead of them it really only leaves if you're going to play then sort of the three up front and i know there's you know it's only a matter of 10 yards as to whether you're an advanced midfielder or up front but our front line we started with uh McElhenney. he seemed to frequently drop deep and that seemed to be a kind of position that is a little bit different for him but really suited him he's not in conventional number 10 he was out there in that sort of advanced left side not quite a left winger not a centre forward, but something in between. Um, if you're going to have him in that position and sort of junior doing the same job on the right wing with McMillan or Hoban as a focal point, it really leaves you only with two 
conventional central midfielders, and one of them is presumably going to be Shields. Um, do you think that that shape is what we're going to see? And basically, we, we will have definitively broken away from the four-five-one that that kind of was traditional. And now, in other words, we may not need a box-to-box midfielder if we've got this formation. It'll be Chris, and then it'll be one of the other guys who can play in the middle. So I said last time that I think the the shape and the success of the shape sort of depends on the the personnel who are there to to play it. And I think. Talked a little bit about the, the central defenders last time, who I thought acquitted themselves really well tonight. But I think in front of them, I'm not sure it worked terribly well. Uh, like Patrick McElhaney did have a good game, but I thought he was sort of on the periphery of things. And I don't think that sort of left side really suited him. Uh, and if anything, like I didn't think we, we offered much down that side in terms of like overlap or, you know, kind of holding the ball up pretty well. I think if we had Michael Duffy in that position, it's a very different story. Like uh, I think he offers a lot more pace. Uh, and a sort of attacking threat over the top that Patrick Michelini doesn't. And I think that would have, you know, maybe freed up the, the central midfielders to have a little bit more space if the opposition have to defend a little deeper, you know, for the, the likes of Duffy's pace over the top. Um, likewise, on the right, like I thought Junior had an okay game. Like, if anything, I actually thought he worked quite hard defensively uh, and put in some tackles and things like that. But I thought he was much more limited sort of offensively uh, at the time. And again, I thought like Sam Stanton had good patches in the game, but is obviously like still learning the league, still getting to the, the pace of the game and that kind of thing and still building some fitness. So I thought like judging his performance, like he showed flashes of what he can definitely offer, but you know, it was hard to tell what he will offer totally over time. I think if we had, you know, Duffy fit, if we had um, Daniel Kelly fit uh, for sort of more pace over the top and particularly when Pat Hoobin came on, like I think Hoobin's combination of sort of strength and holding the ball up combined with somebody else's pace running off them is, you know, an option that almost nobody else in the league has. Uh, and I think if we have those personnel available, I think this uh, system has the potential to work very well. But I think when these players are missing, I think it looks a bit more stunted. Uh, and so, like I say, I, I think when we had the ball, it wasn't great. Like we, we didn't do a great job of holding the ball. Uh, when we didn't have the ball, like I think we have a lot of people moving around the field but I sort of I also thought that we stood off ropers a lot like we didn't really attempt to um pressurize them so heavily a lot of the time rovers had like two or three yards of space to sort of look up and see where they were going to pass the ball we didn't press them really that closely and um, it led to people like Chris Shields doing an awful lot of like chasing after people uh off the ball and honestly I'm not sure if that worked super effectively either, but at the same time, Rovers didn't really break us down. So uh, while we didn't win the ball back great, they didn't, you know, create too many chances either. So I don't know, a, a bit on the fence about the, the system generally. Just to look at our opponents for a moment, it was sort of a similar pattern in some ways to the cup final in that they certainly probably had the majority of possession and particularly after we went down to 10 men, they practically owned the ball. But yet... They couldn't do all that much to hurt us with it. And we did see a similar tactic from Dundalk, shaping, covering, filling the channels, rovers going over and back, looking to try and break us down, getting a side of goal occasionally, but never enough to actually get their noses ahead in the game. Now, it's possible that, you know, in previous seasons, Aaron McAniff and Jack Byrne would have been the key players that unlocked those opposition defences. And we saw a slightly different lineup. Indeed, we kind of it was a somewhat unusual 
uh, choice. We saw Liam Scales on the sort of left wing back row. Um, Sean Horshaw, Gannon combining as they did for us pretty much on the right side of the back tree for Sean Hor and then Gannon a little bit more advanced. We presume that Gary O'Neill would probably come back into a midfield role. Danny Mandrew, surprisingly quiet. In fact, chances for both sides were rather scarce, really. Now, Rovers, particularly when they had the man advantage, probably created a few more. But looking at Dundalk, we've talked about all the forwards we've brought in. And we're kind of expecting a lot of chances and a lot of goals. Now, do you think that, you know, tonight we were relatively free of chances and goals? I can't recall Alan Manis really having to do much other than, you know, pick the ball out of the back of the net for Sonny's goal. We didn't really test him all that much, didn't really get uh, many one-on-ones or shots even from distance. Would that concern you? Or do you think that was just in the nature of this particular game where Rovers were probably... They're probably the only team in the league who's likely to see that amount of possession and have us chasing them. You know, you, you would expect that in most games we will probably be, well, the ones who are bossing the ball. Yeah, I think, I mean, we were away um, for the game. The conditions were tough and we're up against the champions. So even though we, we had won the, the cup, obviously. So I think, um, yeah, I, I don't think it was a true indication of how we'll be going forward uh we definitely didn't really have any chance at all a few balls across the box um which i thought were promising that, that was a good thing although we, we didn't connect on to them which is disappointing the fact that the balls were whipped in there i mean at least i remember at least twice a ball whipped across to face a goal which is good to see uh and i think it's when the season gets started proper the other thing to note uh is that this dog team are essentially um, you know, they're, they're playing together over these previous matches for the first time ever. So it's 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 kind of piecing together a new team and getting them to gel. The Rovers team obviously has additions as well, but they're a bit more of a cohesive unit with less upheaval. So it will take time for Dundalk, but I'm kind of hopeful, although I haven't been in previous uh, maybe months, um, in that what I saw tonight gives me hope, even though... Yes, we did. We did. We didn't carve out that many chances, but you can see the base for chances to come. Was my point. I think um, when the season gets started, maybe we play for want of a better term, lesser teams and Rovers to blood us. That I saw enough attacking flair tonight. Think that we will be a threat against teams, and when we kind of f- fine tune that, when we go back to somewhere like Tala, I think we'll have much more to offer. The first weekend of the season, this might sound like a silly thing to say, but it really is massive because both Shamrock Rovers and Dundalk face really tricky ties. Uh, St. Patrick's Athletic have on paper a good squad. They've made some shrewd additions. And of course, Stephen O'Donnell will be highly motivated. Um, some people have talked that he needs a good start to the to the campaign uh, if, he's to, if he's to stay in the job at Pats. But I think if you look through the spine of their squad, Particularly, you know, when you when you look at the addition of kind of experienced players like Paddy Barrett um, joined the squad, but also quality players like Lennon and we've got uh, Benson uh, and that spine of the team, which kind of kind of have Chris Forrester in it as well. I mean, there's a lot of quality there, and it's quite possible that that'll be a that'll be a pretty stern test for Rovers' credentials. Likewise, our game in Sligo Rovers um, that has been a tricky away fixture for us. 
I mean, a, a, a win there, I suppose, is what ideally you'd be looking for. And um, that might set the tone then and build confidence and momentum. Because as you said, we're the ones that have to gel. It's our players who have to get to know each other. But from what we've seen so far, it's looking like the team is well prepared. Well, going to the showgrounds, it's an exceptionally difficult, exceptionally difficult place to go. You know, to get a result out west, and uh, you know they're going to be set up really, really well. First game of the season, they're going to be up for it. You know, they're not going to be fatigued in terms of like having played a game on the Monday and then maybe having to travel back to Sligo to face or something like that. This, they're going to be fresh. They're going to be. They're going to be up for it. So, um, yeah, you're right, Ken. It's a massive, massive game for us. I know it sounds silly. It's the first game of the season. It's a massive game. But I think that you're dead right. Rovers face an equally massive challenge in in, uh, in, the, in the game against Pats because Pats will be all over them like a rash the same way as they were all over us in, in Oriel Park. They won't let them um, settle on the ball and they'll have all the energy in the world to... to to actually press and press and press them. And, you know, if Rovers win that game, then fair play to them because I would kind of put it down maybe to a draw. It'll be a very, very tough game uh, for Rovers to win uh, first game of the season. Pats have put together an exceptionally good squad. And Stephen O'Donnell have a point to to make. Yeah, Pats have a very good squad, but, you know, they really struggled for goals last year despite adding... Uh, a couple of people who you would have thought on paper would have uh, gotten them a few goals like Georgie Kelly. And so, I don't know, like, I, I don't think there will be a lot of goals in that match, but uh, Pats will definitely give them a stern test. In some ways, I think Stephen O'Donnell's biggest problem is Vinnie Perth, that you've got, you know, a league-winning manager uh, with a lot of credentials who is a Pats fan who is sitting on the sidelines. And if he gets off to a bad start, he knows that there is somebody there basically sitting on the sidelines uh, who could easily be lined up to replace him. So uh, I think the pressure is on Stephen O'Donnell a little bit to uh, to turn things around. But like I say, I, I think they will provide a good test for Rovers. I, I think that will be a tricky one to call. Looking at the two teams tonight, and I think Stewie Byrne on commentary remarked on the high quality that they produced, particularly in the first half, in not ideal conditions. Do you think our assumption that we've probably everybody has that one or other of those squads will be the champions this season. Do you think that looked pretty sound after the full-time whistle tonight? Yeah, I mean, I think... Well, I, I would think Rovers should be favourites, and I say that as a dog fan. Um, let's not be like, uh, like stupid about it. I think Rovers, should, even after tonight, would still be favourites. But um, it's hard to tell. You never really know how other teams... Obviously, Bo's... I, I, I feel a, a strange unknown quantity because uh, it really depends on how they start. I think Pats have a huge amount to a huge amount of potential, but will that potential be tapped? Um, I think Sligo Rovers could be back in the mix, but if you're asking me if it's who the top two is going to be, um, I still think what, who we saw tonight will will be there. It's what may be a more interesting discussion for the league is who's going to be fighting for third and fourth. But I do think that, yeah, top two is going to be between us two. Well, we said it last time that, you know, the biggest squads were uh, were on show tonight. And I think that period of games during April, May, when there's, you know, six games a month back to back, that is going to test people's squads. And I think the Dog and Rovers, you know, by virtue of having the greatest numbers, are going to endure that spell the best. Well, it, it turned out to be a night of really fine margins because we kind of rode our luck in the penalty shootout 
uh, missing two penos usually would be fatal, but Abibi did come up trumps and we came out on the winning side of it. That puts a really good sheen on, on a performance that was very evenly matched. And I suppose the story of the season is going to be which one of these very closely matched sides going to come out on top. I do think, you know, some of our relative advantages over them is, were probably apparent. Although we didn't have many chances, I do think we offer a potent goal threat with who we've got up front compared to them. I'd still think Aaron Green is a hard-working but low-scoring centre-forward. And when he came on, once again, he couldn't really combine with Gaffney to, to get the goal that they needed to win it. Whereas in midfield, they still do seem to have an abundance of talent and also people to come back from injury. And of course the return of Richie Towell, which is also going to tip the balance probably in their favour. Just before we leave tonight's game, um, how difficult was it for you to see uh, Gano and Hoare in hoops? Uh, the first time I saw Sean Gannon, it was really... I had forgotten. I had actually genuinely forgotten he played for them. Really, I'd forgotten. I knew he wasn't with us, but I knew he was fun. And it wasn't until I saw him right now that I was like, oh my God. But then the first time he came down the wing and was in our box, because he was very deployed. Now, I think he quietened down as the game went on. Mm. But for the first 15, 20 minutes, I thought, oh, he's going to be involved against us. And I, that was going to break. It was heartbreaking to see him in the hoops anyway. But had he contributed to a goal against us? Um, I did think he quietened down um, as the game went on. But the first 20 minutes, um, he was in such an attack. And I, 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 I suspect that was on purpose. I think they wanted to prove a point. I think he was deployed ve very much in an attacking uh, system. But um, yeah, no, it hurt. But then again, I think in a way, this match was like pulling the plaster off. Done. He's a Rovers player now. You know, he's not a Dundalk player. So once you get that over and done with, he's the enemy. That's it. He's one of them now. We've got to we've got to move on. Find new heroes. Find new idols. Um, it is going to once again recur in July when Richie comes back. And uh, I mean, if he scores a winner against us, I don't know. Just before we leave tonight's match, um, I, I come back to it, BB. I know you were saying that certain you know other people in on social media or wherever else had him written off. What I really liked about about his his game tonight was his distribution of the ball um, in the box. I thought that like in seasons gone by. And Gary Rogers is is a legend, but I always thought that he, you know, for whatever reason, he settled play down, and you'd be kind of shouting, "Go throw it, throw it, throw it!" Does it throw? And the BB just boom out it goes, and we're on we're on the attack. And I think if we can build on that this year, I think we will catch teams out. Like I mean, not catch them out, but we will hit them on the break for um, from that kind of speedy distribution um, from the back, rather than waiting for the actual pitch to settle. It's a man available. We're going to attack. Get it out there. I thought the baby was really, really fresh like that tonight. Yeah, he did seem to be very comfortable with the ball at his feet and usually did find one of our own men. And apparently the squad isn't entirely complete yet. We hear some interesting rumours, possibly the signing of a French-born Irish um, underage international, the centre-half. When you think about it, age profile of our players, Andy Boyle has hit 30, Ryan Gartland is well over 30, um, Daniel Cleary is still pretty young. Um, but I suppose we, we need to begin to look a little bit ahead in seasons to come. And if that means bringing in a younger understudy to our defenders, that could be an interesting choice, particularly if he's a underage Irish international. Um, we have a rumour of a possible signing of a defensive midfielder who's an international for the Central African Republic. And that will surely be a first for Dundalk FC. And uh, that might not be the, the entire business. Apparently, there is 
possibly other free agents that the club are looking at. So, you know, we, we'll, we'll see what that turns up. But I suppose there was a lot of positives um, from from the performance tonight. And of course, in a game like this, the win ultimately is everything. And it gives us it gives us a good morale boost as well as, as well as a really thorough kind of test and a really good workout. It gives us a good morale boost to bring into our game against Sligo on Saturday week. I suppose the the main story of the week normally would have been uh, Dundalk FC of a new manager. There was, you know, a lot of merriment in uh, social media when there was this rather strange press conference in Oriel. Some suggestions on Twitter that we should have an emergency podcast about it. We probably didn't think it merited that because this was foreshadowed towards the end of last season when Shane Keegan was listed as the manager in our Europa League games. So what did you think of that news that Shane Keegan is now officially the manager? I mean, do you think that is a material change in the way the team is going to be run? We've talked a little bit about the role of the traditional manager who is in charge of the entire recruitment, uh, contracts, the picking of the team, the substitution, the tactics, you know, that that Turlock O'Connor, Jim McLaughlin role that we kind of probably all grew up with. And we talked a little bit also about that seemingly now being a little bit more disparate. Particular functions seem to have been devolved to different individuals. It seems now that there's that there's um, several routes into the club. There's there's recruitment in a multifaceted way. What do you think of, of the press conference and sort of the reaction to it? Because once again, whenever this comes up, our rivals tend to make merry that Dundalk is some sort of circus. But tonight, there didn't seem to be any lack of tactical cohesion or knowing what to do on the field of play. So what, what do you think of that situation? Well, the first thing I'm thinking is I feel like Jose Mourinho. If I say anything, I'm in trouble. Um, I think, Ken, you're being a bit generous with the whole, you know, tactical analysis of Shane Keegan himself. I I think it, we all know what's gone on there. Listen, um, I think uh, what transpired in Europe... Listen, what happened in Europe is now... We all know what happened. We were accused of shadow coaching, got fined and got our uh, wrists slapped. And I believe the same um, um, standards are now being um, uh, enforced at home. That, I think that's the story, which is that, listen, what we got away with, in, what we, sorry, the system we had, which we got away with at home, we finally caught up with us in Europe. And we talked about it on previous podcasts about the dock or the dock's ownership um, seemingly skirting the rules, but it has now occurred to them that those that those rules have come home to to the league, and um, I think that's what happened. Like, that's not claim it's some kind of tactical decision or um, anything like that. I think that um, Filippo does not have the badges, and so cannot take charge of the team. I think it's now been the, the team of. I think it must have come down from above that uh, we can't get away with it. So this sudden uh, change of situation where Filippo, who was marketed as the head coach, I would say in the club's marketing, the club's positioning, he's the head coach in his own, by the way, um, only a few weeks ago in uh, press interviews, he picks the team, he chooses the players. I mean, these were quotes that came from him. Now suddenly he does not pick the team. Um, and we all know why, because he doesn't have the badges, so he can't. Shane Keegan does, so he does. And it was all very, listen, it, everyone knew what went on at that press conference. Everyone knew what went on this week. It was Dundalk getting their uh, 
dotting their I's and crossing their T's. But it was so obvious in public uh, what was going on that they were um, uh, getting uh, towing the line, getting everything front and centre, neat and handy. So we all know why they're doing it. Yeah, uh, this is the the club covering their arse uh, because they were called out on uh, this whole shenanigans, which was very predictable. Uh, I mean, we called it out. We're not football pro- uh, professionals, as has been widely pointed out lately. So, you know, uh, it's unsurprising to say that, you know, the uh, professional administrators of the game and opposition coaches and stuff like that, you know, will have been wear- well aware of this situation too uh, and will have highlighted uh, what they perceive as, you know, sort of rule bending and all this kind of carry on. Now, as it happens, I really like Filippo. Like, I think... Uh, he speaks very well. He's clearly a talented coach. Uh, he was clearly coaching the team very well towards the end of last season. So, you know, very few complaints about what's happening on the field. And I think one of the questions we had in the offseason would, you know, the, the club's recruitment and that kind of thing be, be satisfactory. You know, we said we wanted to take a wait and see approach. We've waited. We're now seeing a bit, you know, some signings look very good, particularly like Dracovskis. And um, so... I think, you know, this is just, as Rory points out, box ticking. Uh, but like I say, very, very predictable. Uh, the club, I think, could have done more over the course of the last, you know, eight or nine months to basically offset this problem by finding, you know, uh, either somebody with the right badges in advance or putting Filippo on a, a pro-license course earlier, which, you know, they seem to miss the boat on. Um and now they're reaping what they sow. So, like, I think the only silver lining is that things look very good in the pitch. Like, there's been a few times in the club's history we've been a laughing stock, uh, and at the same time we've been woeful on the pitch. So, you know, being a bit of a laughing stock and being very successful on the pitch, I will definitely take. I also want to say one more thing. Uh, some of us, maybe all of us, on this podcast were accused of being anti-Filippo, but one of the things we pointed out, and I'm just going to say this personally because I got some personal abuse over it, was. I pointed out that he wasn't qualified, and I feel a bit vindicated about that, because that's all we pointed out. We said, nice chap, was doing a good job, the players like him, but we did point out in probably one of our more controversial episodes was that uh, when we were assessing the season was that he was unqualified, and I don't mean that in a kind of a personal insult sort of way, I mean that in a literal, factual sort of way. Yeah, like... People kind of know what they get from this podcast at this stage. And like, if we're paraphrasing reports from other media sources, we sort of said that occasionally we, or often we give our own opinions and usually that's discernible. And um, sometimes we'll speculate on possibilities of things that might happen, you know, if things go one way or things go another. So a lot of what we say does require the, you know, people to be able to determine those nuances. And I think most listeners can, but once again, like every word we've ever said is up there for everybody to scrutinize. And that may come back and haunt us someday. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, the, the, the notion that we kind of personally have it in for Filippo, I think that's provable. But you can just go and listen to every word we've ever said. And we've said Filippo, you know, has come into a very difficult situation. He's done a very good job. I think early on we said if we got Europe and European group stages and a cup, that would be a good season. He achieved all that. We warmed to him, quite like the guy, personally. And clearly he can he can do the job. He can coach. We we talked a while back about, you know, things could have gone disastrously wrong because sometimes a manager comes into a difficult situation and just, you know, 
gets off on the wrong foot and the players, you know, don't, don't respond to him. And you would you would know if that was happening. But Dundalk slowly, league form aside, Dundalk slowly sort of revitalized their fortune since Filippo arrived. So I think everybody who listens subjectively will know that. I think somebody on Twitter said, you know, I'm a bit surprised by this because the lads on the podcast actually quite like Filippo. And I think, you know, we do. Uh, we didn't agree with the way that his predecessor was treated, but that's nothing to do with Filippo. But I do feel a little bit sorry for Filippo now because he's trying to build his um, reputation. He's trying to build his... Uh, he's trying to communicate who he is as a person to the players. And now suddenly, it's not us that are questioning his his manager. The, the club have sort of changed his title in, in this conspicuous way. And, and suddenly he's... The only thing I worry about is potentially this, this undermines him a little bit. Now, there wasn't any evidence of that tonight. And hopefully the players are on board with what's going on. And there's no confusion about who to look to and who to listen to. Um but you know, I, I just do think I, I think really this is the issue that we pointed out. Like saying he doesn't have the badges is merely a statement of fact. And unfortunately, this it 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 kind of goes into a catalogue of inattentiveness by those in charge, like not foreseeing problems that are very, very foreseeable, um, which really is creating problems that the club doesn't need to bring on itself. Now, basically. I think this is compounded by the fact that probably the FIFA badge course would be running in normal times. Uh, COVID has probably knocked it back another year. I'm not 100% sure about that, but I imagine COVID has disrupted that course running. So I think what would normally happen is we'd have a situation pretty much identical to what we had with Vinny and John Gill. They were in a pretty similar situation. Vinny was completing his badges. John Gill was in as manager. And you remember that moment where Tony o uh, who asked John Gill live on TV who picks the team and John kind of shuffled on his feet and said well we have a conversation it's a collective decision and this seemed to be a very conspicuous reprise of that moment just done as a press conference but as I say the proof of this whole experiment is in performances and results and if tonight is anything to go by, it isn't negatively affecting or impacting things on the team. The only thing I would worry about is you remember the sort of stuff that we saw towards the end of last season where Filippo was shooed into the stand and Keegan was left, you know, and he didn't even have access to the dressing room. I really hope that none of that is going to man manifest itself again. So I, I think that the club has as you say, made a sh conspicuous show of profiling Shane Keegan as manager. I just hope that this isn't going to be an issue. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, I mean, but like on, on the other side of things, like it, it seems to have become an issue this season, like domestically, but obviously going into the conference, the UEFA conference this year, you do have to get your house in order. I really like Filippo too. I think he's a real character. I think he gets the best out of the team. He arrives into an exceptionally difficult situation. And, you know, he brought us on on a, on a, on a serious run in Europe. It was very, very good. And it was him that, that did it. So Shane, Shane Keegan, who is, to quote the FAI, obviously Dundalk's manager, brings home his first trophy. Any day that you beat Shamrock Rovers is a good day. And any day you beat Shamrock Rovers in their own patch and win some silverware is a great day. 
another great night, another piece of silverware. Two trophies already, and the season hasn't even begun yet. All eyes will turn now to Friday night's game between Shamrock Rovers and St. Patrick's Athletic, and we'll have a slight advantage because we'll play the following day. We'll know how they've gotten on, and we'll be hoping for a good start and a victory over Sligo Rovers. So, doubtless, we'll be back for another chat after uh, after Saturday's game. Oh, Let's hear for the man. This ain't the 